This morning we look at James chapter 1. We begin with verse 9. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like the flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. For when he is for when this has conceived, for when this has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Well, let's take a look at the book of James uh, this morning. Uh, one of the realities is that sometimes we find ourselves in more difficulty than what we wanted or that we planned for. Anyone find that to be true inside of, of their life? Uh, it kind of reminds me of the first time that I ever went skiing. It was about 30 years ago. That's actually not a snapshot of, of me. Uh, I know you're looking at that and saying, well, that, that must be Tim. He was really shredding it up out there. Um, but but that not, I had never skied before. I didn't even own a turtleneck sweater. I mean, like, how am I supposed to be able to, to, to ski? And, and so we were together with a group, and my brother-in-law was part of that group. And my brother-in-law was a, was a skiing aficionado. He, he loved skiing. He couldn't wait to get out there. And I think he was a little bit discouraged or a little bit frustrated by having to hang out with us rookies that didn't know what we were doing. And so one of the things that he did is we were trying to figure out, you know, how we're supposed to do the plow thing and then how not to break our legs and stuff like that. He, he said, here's the deal. I think it would be easier if you were to learn up the top of the mountain than here at the bottom of the mountain where it's so crowded. I'm like, well, you know, there are a lot of people down here. And so may, maybe going to the top of the mountain uh, to learn how to ski would be a, would be a good I idea. The air was thin, okay? I, I'm not saying it was his fault. I believed him uh, as, as we were going up there. And so we get on the ski lift. Now, I don't know whether you know this about s skiing, but they put these markers on the trails to give you some information about where it is that you're going to be skiing. Now, this is something that I learned on the way down that I wish that I had learned on the way up. You see, there's the little green circle. See how friendly that is? They almost should put like a smiley face on that because what that says is that it is easy. I, I like what it says there. It says, suitable for Tim. That, 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 I, I like that. Uh, now, you've got to know, I never saw anything with a green circle that day. Uh, the, the next one is the, the blue box. Blue is a nice calming color. It's a, it's a nice thing. It, it says it's moderate. It, it's challenging to some. Challenging to some. But then you come down to that third one there, and it is that black diamond. And it says, intended for experts. 
If you are not an expert, do not come here. Do not handle this because this is difficult. And in fact, sometimes they put two of those diamonds back together. I don't know how many diamonds there were where I got off. But I'm telling you, it was all diamond all the time. And so here was my task. It was my task to learn how to do something difficult in the middle of something that was a difficult place to do it. Sometimes we find ourselves in more difficulty than what we wanted and that we planned for. In fact, difficulty kind of comes to us uh, all the time. In fact, I, I don't know what your week was like, but, but maybe some of you had a green circle week. Maybe. Anybody happy for you? Some of you had a, a blue box week. And some of you had a whole string of those black diamonds because that's the kind of week that you had. Sometimes we have to face more difficulty than what we wanted and sometimes we have to face more difficulty than what we planned for. In fact, as I think about it, as I look at the passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning, well, one of the things that I notice is, is that we face difficult circumstances, we face difficult seasons, and we face difficult struggles. Now, you might be able to add to that list and add, you know, you might want to add difficult people. I, that, that's another Sunday. That's another spot uh, in, in Scripture. But, but, but when we think about it, we, we deal with difficult circumstances. We deal with difficult seasons and difficult struggles. And what I want you to know and I want you to remember is we read over that passage of Scripture this morning, that the Word of God is not designed for an easy life. The Word of God the Spirit of God, the living God who speaks into us, He has designed and equipped us for life even when it's difficult. Difficult circumstances, difficult seasons, and even difficult struggles. And so I want to take a look at that a little bit more closely out of the passage of Scripture uh, this morning. And so the first thing that I want you to notice from this passage from James chapter 1, verses 9 to 18, uh, the first thing that I want you to notice is that we shouldn't be defined by difficult circumstances. We should not be defined by difficult circumstances. Now, remember, we, we opened this message last week uh, with this great opening verse or opening verses from, from the book of James, and it said, count it all joy. It says, isn't it great when? And you're like, oh, you know, there are some great things. Uh, and so you start to make a list of some of your favorite things in, in life and all that. But what James says is, count it all joy when you face various trials of various kinds. For the testing of your faith produces endurance. He, he begins by saying, he begins by saying, you should be excited. It should be joy when you face various trials. Now that was last week. This week he says in verse 9, let the lowly brother exalt or boast in his exaltation. Now, the word lowly there is a word that, that kind of is one of those things that it's kind of hard to, to corral into a single word, but it, but it means, it, it means, it means not impressive. It means small. It means weak. It means insignificant. It means poor. It means not a big deal. 
But listen to what he says. The, the one who is lowly, the one who is insignificant, the one who is weak, the one who is not a big deal, he should boast, brag, be excited about his exaltation. Now, remember we said last week that James, the, the writer of the book that we're studying here, was related to Jesus. In fact, that they were, they were brothers. You, you almost can hear this, even though... James was not a believer during Jesus' earthly ministry. But one of the things that we see is that there seemed to be some influence. Because when we listen to a statement that says, let the lowly brother, let the lowly person exalt in their lowliness, it sounds a little bit like the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus goes through a whole list of things. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you who are persecuted. It's kind of like, how do, we, how do we celebrate those things? But there's something that God is telling us, is that even in the middle of hard, difficult things, we are to celebrate, we are to be boastful, we are to be excited about those things. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, the reason why we are excited in those hard places is because in those hard places, that's where God shows up in our lives. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And when we have that difficult experience, that is the place where God is going to show up and do his work. And so when the person is lowly, the person is insignificant, the person is struggling, the person is dealing with the weight of the world, God says, boast in your exaltation because there's something about the hardness and the hardship that you're dealing with that God is going to show up and do something profound in the middle of that. Now, there's also a flip side to this verse. Because in the flip side of this verse, it says, let the lowly person boast in his exaltation. And then the next phrase it says, and let the rich person in his humiliation. Now, we don't see it in our English translations, but the lowly person is the same word as what the rich person is heading toward. You see, the low person is heading toward exaltation. The rich person is heading to humiliation, which comes from the same word as that insignificant, weak, poor, humble, not by choice. In fact, it says, let the, let the person in low position exalt. Let the person in high position also exalt in their humiliation. Now, how do we do that? Well, one of the things is, one we have to recognize is that the stuff of this world doesn't last. In fact, that's what it's saying is, listen, the, the rich person should boast or celebrate in their humiliation because they just need to come to terms with the stuff that they have chased, accumulated, celebrated, loved, embraced. It's not going to last. Hey, he, he gives the example. Uh, he, he gives the example of the the grass withering under the the oppressive heat of the sun. Now we're expecting rain all weekend. We're expecting rain all week to come. Now some of it didn't show up yesterday, but I got to tell you, my grass last weekend looked fantastic. It was well watered. It was looking great, but within one week of no rain. It looked like if you were to step on it, it would snap in half and start a fire. It didn't take much 
for it to lose its power and its vibrancy and its strength just because life comes. And one of the things that the Word of God tells us is that when we fall in love with our stuff, we need to understand that some of that stuff doesn't last very long. And so don't be defined by your circumstances. You, you, you may be struggling right now, or you may be killing it right now. But either way, that stuff doesn't last forever. So don't be defined by your bank account, by what other people's opinions of you are, by the number of toys in the garage, or, or whether the stuff in the garage is even working. Don't be defined by that. That doesn't mean it doesn't impact our lives. It just doesn't define our lives. I thought about playing a little game this morning. I thought about sticking in everybody's bulletin this morning some money. Well, some Monopoly money. <laughs> and Monopoly money comes in different denominations. It's Presbyterian. It's, no, no. It's, um, it, it comes in ones. And a little church joke there for you. It comes in ones and fives and tens and twenties. 50s and hundreds, and, and then they got those gold ones. Remember the gold ones? The $500. Now, if I stuck a different piece of Monopoly money in every single bulletin this morning, and you open up that bulletin and you get a 20, you're like, man, I got a 20. And you look to the person next to you, and they only got a five. You're like, I got a 20. How about that? And, and then the person next to you, though, They've got one of those $500. And then you begin to think about it. Why did I only get a 20? I, I, I wanted a 500. I bet you the preacher doesn't like me. I, I'm going to spend the rest of this service looking for other churches in town. I, I, this just doesn't seem to, I don't like any of this at all. And so some people are excited because they got a 500. Some people are mad because they only got a, got a five. And some people are like, man, will you trade me this? And all kinds of stuff is, is, is going on. And some people are feeling great about it. Some people are discouraged about it. You know, all kinds of emotions. Then about halfway through the sermon, you're like, wait a minute. This is play money. None of it counts. None of it matters. None of it's worth anything. I will tell you that there's a degree that one of the things about our circumstances, the stuff, our success, our lowliness, and anything in between, if we let that define who we are, it's like walking around bragging about Monopoly money. It's make-believe. It doesn't last. It doesn't define who you are. Susan and I went to college in West Palm Beach. We went to Palm Beach Atlantic University, well, college then, but university now because we're big time. Uh, and one of the things is it was right on the intercoastal in West Palm Beach. And I didn't realize the distinction between West Palm Beach and Palm Beach. Oh, it's more than just a little bit of water. Hey, it's a whole other world. And in fact, Susan lived in one of the fancy dorms where she was right there, it was on the intercoastal, and you could see over into Palm Beach, that Palm Beach, where, where the, you know, the garbage gets picked up in a Rolls Royce. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's that Rolls Royce. And, and, and so you, every once in a while, just for kicks, because we had nothing else to do, we'd drive around Palm Beach. And you'd hear, that's so-and-so's house, and that's so-and-so's house. Now, most of the time, you had to take their word for it because they had 30-foot hedges in the front, and you couldn't really see anything. But every once in a while, you'd get a glimpse, or you'd see somebody come by in a really fancy car, and you'd just be in Palm Beach. You think, 
I wonder what it would be like to have that life. What would it be like to, to, to live in that house, to, to have that car? What, what would it be like to have all the, the toys and all the private things that, that you have in that place? Boy, how, boy, how about that? But Palm Beach County is an interesting place because there on the east side of the county is, is the island and the wealth. And on the west side of the county, it's a farming community. And most of those farms are operated by migrant laborers. And a lot of times, those migrant laborers were, were not treated well. And in fact, you'd have some of the poorest people in America living out there in those migrant communities. And sometimes, instead of looking over Palm Beach, sometimes I'd find myself driving on the west side of the county, and you'd see these, these shacks that people were living in, and you could just see the, the hardness of what their life is. And sometimes you would say, I wonder what it'd be like to have that life. I wonder what it'd be like to have their stuff. I wonder what it'd be like to live in their environment. And so here you are in one place. You have some of the wealthiest people in the entire world and some of the poorest people in the entire world. But so my question that I would ask as I was kind of wandering around there, who's happier? Who, who when they laugh, laughs from deep joy? Who, when the night ends, goes to bed with a, a broken heart? Who has the marriages that are rich and right and good and strong? I don't know. But the Rolls Royce didn't do it. The stuff. I, I just came convinced that there was no more happiness on that end than there was on that end. And you could find happiness. I'm not saying you can't be rich and happy. It, it, it's there. But I'm also saying the absence of wealth does not mean the absence of happiness. It's just the stuff. And James wants us to know, listen, don't be defined by the stuff. If you are low right now, if you are, if you are unsignificant, man, be encouraged because there is an exaltation that's coming for you. And if you, right now you, you've got it and you're firing on all cylinders and you are voted most likely to succeed and all of those kinds of things, rejoice because the stuff that you're dealing with and carrying, it's not going to last forever. Now, how is that an encouraging word? It's an encouraging word in two ways. One, it takes some pressure off. If your happiness is built on stuff and you've got to keep the stuff coming, that puts more pressure on you than you really want to admit. It's a hard grind to chase after. And so one of the words here is like, listen, there is a whole life beyond the stuff. And I think it's encouraging because it also tells us, go deeper. Go deeper. If it's the stuff that doesn't have the influence that we think it does, chase after the things that matter more. We shouldn't be defined by difficult circumstances. 
So I want to encourage you, if you're in the middle of something hard right now, that doesn't define who you are, and that does not lock you in from the work of God or even the experience of joy, even though it's hard sometimes. Secondly, uh, I would want us to know that we should not be defeated by a difficult season. We should not be defeated by a difficult season. John Stephen Akari is one of the most memorable Olympic marathon runners in history. Now, he did not, uh, he, he did not set a world record. He, he did not come in first place. He, he did not come in second place. He did not come in third place. In fact, in the 1968 Mexico Olympics, he came in what we like to call in the business last place. In fact, <laughs> the winner came across the finish line an hour and five minutes before he did. The, the second and third place persons had come. In fact, they had already done the medal ceremony. The fact the stadium had emptied out almost. The sun had gone down. Nobody even knew that he was out there running until he comes hobbling into the stadium. He probably hadn't trained properly. He wasn't used to the altitude that Mexico City brings. Mexico City was one of the hottest, most humid Olympics ever. Halfway through the race, he, he had an altercation, a, a collision with a couple of the other runners. He, he fell and he dislocated his knee. He did significant damage to his shoulder, but he got back up, and he kept running, and he kept running, and he even when almost everyone else had packed up and gone home, he ran into the stadium, and he made that final lap, and the handful of people that were still there to witness it, the, the reporter asks him, why didn't you quit? Fifteen other runners dropped out of the race. Why didn't you quit? He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start a race. They sent me to finish a race. One of the words that I want to give to you is don't be defeated by a difficult season. Here in verse 12, the word of God says, blessed is the man, blessed is the person who remains steadfast under trial. The one who sticks to it, the one who has the spiritual gift of stubbornness, the one who will not let go. You see, God has been building inside of us and wants to build inside of us. One of the things is some spiritual toughness that says we will not quit. We will keep on going. It says, count it all joy when you face various trials of all kinds because it produces endurance inside of your life. In fact, if you take your Bibles and you turn back one page to the end of Hebrews. Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, we are, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It tells us as an example that we look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. One of the spiritual disciplines that God wants to pour into our life is that we do not quit in the middle of hard and difficult seasons. He says enduring 
the race, sticking to it, even in the hardship, even in the difficulty. The passage of Scripture tells us in Hebrews that Jesus ran and completed the race and so that he received the reward that was given to him, the right hand of the throne of God. Here in the passage of James, it tells us that those of us who will remain steadfast will receive the crown of life. The athletic image was one that James would have been very familiar with. He lived in a culture that, well, literally they invented the Olympics. They, they had the Corinthian games. This was a big deal. And they would have races often. And the winner of the race, those who complete the race, would receive a crown of laurels. They would receive a crown that would be placed on their head. Here's what they didn't do. They didn't give out the crowns at the halfway point. They gave them to the winners, to the ones who completed the task. And the call that's on our life is don't be defeated by some of the hard things that you are facing. You are to outlast them. You are to be stronger than those things that, that we face and that are difficult in front of us. Last through those things. There's a spiritual gift of stubbornness. Here's what I don't want in my life. I don't want to be more stubborn in unspiritual things than I am in spiritual things. I don't want to be stuck on the wrong things, but I want God to build inside of me that I'm going to stick to and complete the things that he has for me to do. So we have difficult circumstances and we have difficult seasons. Now here's another one, and that is that sometimes we face difficult struggles, and what the word here is telling us is that we should not be confused about difficult struggles. Here in verse 13, it begins to talk about temptation. And, and temptation is, a, is something that's being introduced here in this place. Now, it's interesting because the passage has already been talking about trials and about testing, and now it adds temptation. Now, when we kind of put that together and we read that and what we feel is as all those things all kind of feel pretty similar. Sometimes we're dealing with a trial. Sometimes we're dealing with the testing of our faith. Sometimes we're dealing with temptation. And they all kind of feel like the same thing. But this passage of Scripture, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, wants us to know that, know that they are not the same thing. In fact, one of the things this passage says explicitly, plainly, it says, do not ever say that you are being tempted by God. Because God is not tempted by evil, and he will not ever tempt you to do evil. Oh, church, there's some things that, that I want you to know. There are some things that I want you to hear this morning, that in the face of sin and in the face of temptation, I want you to know that God gives grace. There are times that you and I have missed it. There are times that you and I have dropped the ball. There are times that you and I have run in the wrong direction. We have rebelled. And because of God's love for us, he gives grace. In fact, the whole reason that he came to die on the cross was so that he could extend that grace to the farthest reaches of life. He gives grace. I would also tell you that our Heavenly Father gives strength in the face of temptation, in the face of sin, he gives us strength so that we can stand firm in those days, so that we can resist the devil, so that we can fight in those moments.
He gives grace. He gives strength. But I also need you to hear, and this passage of Scripture says it clearly, God doesn't give permission. He doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't put sin in front of you. He doesn't put situations in front of you and say, ah, go ahead, it's just once or twice. It's no big deal. You see, this passage of Scripture says that the temptation that you deal with is a completely different category than the testing and the trials that you face. Both of them are wrestling. Both of them are difficult. But the testing and the trials that we face, the testing that we face, those are so that we will do the right thing in the middle of difficult circumstances. And the testing and the trials builds us up and it strengthens us. But temptation is the pull on our lives to do the wrong thing in any circumstances. And that always weakens us. I loved what Brother Don said a couple weeks ago when, when he preached for us. He talked about some of the, the, the reasons why we struggle and the sources of struggle. He, he talked about the fact that sometimes we, we struggle because the world, the culture, is moving in the wrong direction and it has influence on our lives. He, he says that sometimes we, we face struggles and difficulties because of our own flesh because of inside of us there are, there are pulls that are not right. And then he said that sometimes the things that we face, that we struggle with are not just because of the culture and it's not just because of ourselves, it's because of the work of, of Satan himself. And all of those things that he said is true, but one of the things that James wants us to know is temptation never comes from God. He says the temptation that boils up from inside of us he says it's a temptation, but once it is a seed inside of us, if we're not careful, it grows up and it becomes sin, and the sin eventually becomes death inside of our lives. God speaks to Cain when Cain is struggling with the fact that his sacrifice wasn't accepted, and Cain is angry about it. And instead of dealing it within himself, he becomes angry not only with God, but he becomes angry with his brother who hadn't done anything inside of him. And in fact, what he says to me, he says, be careful. If you do right, you'll be blessed. If you do wrong, you'll be in trouble. Do not be angry and sin. And then it says, sin is crouching in the door. Basically, the picture is it's ready to pounce on you. And he says, you must overcome it. This is just a reality check for us as we look at this passage this morning. We face difficulties that are circumstances that should not define us. It's from a whole nother plane that doesn't matter. We face difficulties that are seasonal and they don't last and our faith will. But sometimes the struggle that we face is because we are allowing sin to take hold in our life. And we've made excuses for sin inside of our lives. And God says, don't ever confuse that with the testing and the growing and the discipling that I want to do in your life. In fact, I love this passage because it says, God 
is the father of goodness. He says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. It comes pouring over us like light. And one of the things that we're to hear from that is you don't need sin. Because what he wants you to do is to have goodness and perfect gifts and to be bathed in the light. And every time we choose sin, we're, we're forfeiting some of God's good and perfect gifts. We're, we're forfeiting time inside of the light that he wants us to have. I want you to know that our faith is equipped for difficult circumstances. It's equipped for difficult seasons, and you are equipped for difficult struggles. And so as we think about applications this morning, as we think about these applications, I, I just want you to think about maybe one of the more recent difficult seasons that you've dealt with. And I just want you to think through where was the trouble spot in that difficult season, that difficult moment, that difficult experience? What was the trouble spot that you were allowing the difficulty to, to define your identity? When God says that's not your identity at all. And so maybe this morning, one of the things that you have to do is say, listen, this is hard, this is difficult, but this is not my identity before God. It's not truly who I am. It's just some of the stuff of this moment. And maybe in the face of some of the difficulty, the, the, the challenge that's come to you, is, man, every step just kind of feels like it hurts. And it's just like every step, like maybe, maybe this is the time to quit. Maybe I've had enough. Maybe I can't keep going. And the temptation is to just sit down on the curb and say, I'm done. When the call is to say, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. But be steadfast. Remain steadfast in the face of testing and trials and difficulty. And maybe... Maybe the place where the struggle has come has been that you've been making excuses for embracing some things that are not from God. And you've shrugged it off. You said, well, everybody does it. I don't really have a choice. Well, whatever that may be. And maybe there is a part of it. But there's just a place where you need to draw a line you need to kick some things to the curb. You've got to say, no, this is not from God. And I can't pursue God and drag this along with me as I go. So maybe what it is is you've got to say, no, to something that's not from God. He will give you the grace and he'll give you the strength. Man, he doesn't give permission for junk. that and we need to live that so I don't know what it is that you need and maybe it's something completely different that the Spirit of God has given to you today but whatever it is whether it's identity whether it's endurance or whether you need some separation from some stuff man would you respond let me pray for you